Welcome to Strung Out, the podcast that looks at life through the lens of an artist. Your host is the artist, writer, and musician, Martin Lawrence McCormack. Now here's Martin. Glad to have you with us here on Strung Out, and I have my sidekick who's back in after a bit of a hiatus. It's been a while since we talked, but full disclosure, Freeho is being potty trained. <laughs> yes, he's immortalized now in this podcast. In 20 years, you can always reach out to him and ask him. Any suggestions you, the listening audience, have about potty training, we are all ears. We want to know. Yeah, uh, We've heard a lot of things, anecdotal stuff. One friend of mine says that the kid has to actually hold on to the lid of the toilet turn them around. And I don't know if anybody out there has used that sort of thing, but yes. send them in. Send us your suggestions. We yeah, are we are desperate parents. So <laughs> anything you can do to help us, apart from money and donations, of right. course. <laughs> and that'll be our potty cast <laughs> when we get all those Touché. in. The potty. <laughs> wow. Pretty good for, for <laughs> early in the morning. Sandeep, we are going to have an interesting topic for this podcast and what it is something that I've been thinking about for a long time regarding the human species. And we kind of got on it sideways because I was telling you about having this cartoon done in Sri Lanka through Fiverr. The cartoon was done for Miss Rack Sue. Regardless, then we were saying, wouldn't it be cool to go to Sri Lanka? And then I asked you about these islands off of India. And I didn't know they were part of the Indian territory. Yeah. It's interesting because these are islands where there are these indigenous people that have not been civilized. Expound yeah. upon those tribes. So just some context. The islands that Marty's talking about is they're called the Andaman and Nicobar Islands, probably named after the first British voyager that set foot on those islands. Sir Nicobar. Sir Nicobar or whatever. Yeah. But they're part of the Indian Territory, but they're closer to Indonesia and the Java Sea than the Indian Ocean or the Bay of Bengal, which is part of the Indian territorial waters. There's a group of islands there, and not all of them are isolated. They have people that live like modern society, but there's a, a small group of islands where a bunch of indigenous tribes live. And the story is that they are part of a group of tribes that left during the Great Migration out of Africa. They reached these islands maybe by boat or if the islands were closer to the mainland. But for centuries, they've been isolated and they continue to remain isolated. They don't like contact with the outside world. They are in some ways frozen in time. They're like living fossils. They don't have uh, any of the modern conveniences. They live like the tribes in the Amazonian rainforest. And... I didn't know this, but I was pleasantly surprised that the Indian government made the decision to say, hey, these people don't want contact. You know, that's still part of our territory. We'll circle our naval ships around there, but we won't interfere. We won't go there. No one goes in there except maybe a humanitarian or a doctor or a scientist or something. Anyone who can gain the trust. Because if you go close there, they will hunt you down with bows and arrows. Which happened about two years ago, I think now, there was this American missionary who got it into his head that uh, that Christianity 
Boy, they I, know, he knows how to pick those places. No, you you got to give these guys props. I yeah. mean, they're like, where can I go that yeah. I'm going to be hunted and martyred? Yeah. And they picked the Andaman Islands. I wonder how you picked that place. If you throw a dart, that, that spot is so small, there's no way you can hit it. How do you hear about <laughs> yeah, it exactly. in the first place? I think he hired he must like, have bribed somebody some... cut loose toward the island, and yeah. I don't know what this guy was thinking. Yeah, he wasn't. He clearly. wasn't, clearly. Yeah, clearly. He, he had a welcoming committee, and they, from what I heard, they, they shot him with an arrow, and that, that was, was that. It. Yeah. It was um, over. So no, yeah. no, no, nothing was accomplished yeah. uh, except pissing off the natives. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really. But the, the story is that because they're so isolated, they haven't been exposed to all of the germs that we have been exposed to for centuries. And so any small new virus infects them and can cause an epidemic. From what I've read, the only time the government has intervened was during the tsunami, right after the tsunami. When in Banda Aceh in Indonesia, mm -hmm. it's when they suffered a lot of casualties and they had to send in some supplies, humanitarian supplies and relief. But they stay isolated to this day, which is a fascinating experiment if you're a genealogist or a, a social scientist or an evolutionary biologist to have this living fossil there. So obviously they have some notion that there's an outside world. Yeah, yeah. If there's contact. Yeah. Which is interesting in the sense that who gets to do that contact? I'm sure it's some bureaucrat who has a scientist with him or someone who's gained their trust over a long period of time, maybe a medical practitioner. I don't know. The details are very hush-hush. We just know that they exist. I did not know about that island until the tsunami happened and there was this big news splash, which, like I said, how many secret places are like that left in the planet anymore? We've explored the hell out of this place. So. Well, and... The same thing for the Amazonian tribes yeah. that are there. They're protected. Imagine these tribes on these islands. They're probably COVID-free, too. In some ways, that's nice to know. Yeah. It's also nice to know that they don't have these diseases, that there is this possibility that maybe they're, a, 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 what would you call it, a safeguard? Yeah. The lack of contact also makes them vulnerable, right? In some point, contact is inevitable, and then what happens? You haven't built the resistance over the years. But I'm just fascinated that in this day and age when I can take my cell phone and call up a family member in any part of the world instantly, I feel like I'm hyper-connected. On the other end of the spectrum, uh -huh. there are these people that have resisted contact for centuries, and they're happy, content with their hunter-gatherer way of life. And to think that in 2022, these people still exist is, I guess, heartwarming. In some ways it, it is, is, because yeah. you feel like not everything has been ruined. Exactly, yes. Yeah. In the back of my mind, that's what I'm thinking about, is that wherever we go yeah. as a civilized species, we have a tendency to just ruin it. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Like Antarctica. I've always had a problem with these cruises going off Antarctica, because what's yeah. the point? Yeah. Can we what's, leave someplace pristine? Exactly. Or, Just right. leave it alone. And I'm happy to watch it on public television, the March of the Penguins. I don't have to be there yeah. to see the penguins doing their thing. Yeah. Take a selfie. Yeah. At what point is enough when it comes to these places? The thing for Brazil, which right now their president is kook, if I can say that. But he's 
pushed very hard for destroying the rainforest. And now you have these tribes that are endangered mm-hmm. by loggers. Farmers, even. Is there a international responsibility, you think, to keeping these people isolated? I think so. First of all, the Amazon rainforest is one of the great biosinks, you know, carbon sinks on the planet. They literally are responsible for sucking out so much carbon because of all the, the forests there. So to lose that would be a, a calamity and accelerate climate change. So just from a survival and a selfish point of view, the international community has to protect the rainforest. But I also think from a humanitarian perspective, we need to, like I said, there's a part of me that feels like some part of the planet needs to be pristine, keep it untouched. I understand that people need to eat and these loggers and farmers are desperate for money. And so we, the international community has to find a way. In the same way that they prevented poaching of wildlife in Africa by paying these people, the indigenous people, maybe there's a, a monetary economic way of saving the rainforest by paying some of these loggers to not log or to do something else and maybe make money off of the tourism. But who knows? There's, there has to be some sort of creative solution to this. But whose responsibility is that, you think? I think it's a global responsibility because clearly the Brazilian government is not up, up to the task. Let's just uh, play the hypothetical, and let's just say that the Indian government discovers lithium. Yeah. yeah. That the Andaman Islands are basically the world's biggest deposit of lithium. Yeah. Now you have this conflict. Is it in the world's interest, is it in the world's responsibility to say to India, in this hypothetical, we are going to pay you to not do anything? Yes. I think so. Yeah. I think preserving the ecology, preserving the last vestiges of a sort of prehistoric, pristine time. It's like saying, don't pollute the Taj Mahal. If you have a factory that's emitting these gases that are chipping away at the Taj Mahal, pay them to move someplace else. Or the great pyramids of Giza are being destroyed because of pollution. Try to fix away because they're all part of humanity's shared cultural history. If India needs to be bribed <laughs> to keep the lithium in the ground, or if Brazil needs to be bribed to preserve the rainforest, it sounds, not, it, it, we're not comfortable with that, but that's probably the best, most realistic way of fixing this problem. But that's where we're at this point, because otherwise, Brazil, for example, with the rainforest, they have the jurisdiction, it mm-hmm. is their territory, Yeah, they're going to do whatever they damn well please. But they're not an isolated country, right? They still do trade with the United States, with China. And it's in our interest. It's in China's interest, for example, to make sure Brazil stays pristine because China's polluting so much. The world needs a carbon sink like the rainforest to balance out all of the human-generated pollution. Let's take a little break here because when we come back in the, the next section, I want to expand upon this idea. We're talking about pristine places on the planet and the people that may or may not be living in them, and what is our collective responsibility toward those parts on the planet. You're listening to Strung Out. Hello, everyone. Polly Chase here from Marty Fine Art. Have you visited Marty's website lately? I encourage you to check it out. We've added a new section for greeting cards, 
featuring eight of Marty's original artworks, including his latest painting, One-Eyed Wolf. And did you know you receive a 20% off discount when you join the email list? Sign up today at martinmccormick.com and you'll receive a code for 20% off your first order. Shop for fine art prints, t-shirts, tote bags, coffee mugs, greeting cards, and so much more. Apply your code in the shopping cart and enjoy your 20% off discount courtesy of martinmccormick.com. Thanks for listening and happy shopping! under my bed When I was older I lived in my closet Nowadays it likes to live in my head There's just no way I can dodge it Fear is a friend and a foe Fear is with me where Something new it holds me back. If there's a change, it gets real mad. When I wanna leap, it attacks. How can something so good be so bad? Fear is a friend and a foe. Fear. Is with me wherever I go, we know Fear, a fall but a friend And it's gonna be with me to the end in your eyes Let's work together and find a way To get over our fear and through its lies And finally make our fear obey Fear is a friend and a foe Fear is with me wherever I go
We're back. And, Sandy, before the break, we were talking about the idea of the world having the responsibility now to put money towards saving pristine places. I want to expand upon that and pick your brain about this idea. What if we started offering places in the world, usually third world countries that are undeveloped, the idea of paying them not to develop, as opposed to everything with global warming, we will pay you to use green energy to come up to Western standards. What's your thought about that? Do you think that's right? Ethical? Yes. Human progress demands more energy. So if people in poorer countries want to raise their standard of living, it's, it's more energy. That's essentially it. That's what it comes down to. But you don't want them to make the same mistakes that developed countries have done, which is build coal plants. And a lot of these investments, when you build, invest in energy, those things have a long shelf life. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure you're investing in the right pieces, because if you build a coal plant, that thing will last for 60 years or maybe 100 years. Who knows? So the time is now to make those kind of investments. And in order and to your question, should we pay poorer countries to not develop? I think we can pay them to leapfrog into the right technologies mm-hmm. instead of so instead of saying, hey, just drill you looks like you have a big basin of natural gas under you, just drill that. I think we can say, hey, let's not do the same mistakes we did. We will pay you to go directly to solar or wind or other renewables so that you enjoy energy rich lifestyle but without the the steep costs. Let's look at a country like Indonesia mm-hmm. that's made up of a gazillion islands. And not all those islands have been exploited, I'm guessing. Yeah. Is it in our interest as the world, if we could get our collective act together, to say to Indonesia, who by no means are poor, right. the country itself is fairly rich, but say, we're going to pay you, you could call it a carbon tax, but I call it a pristine tax. We're going to give you, as the world each will divvy it up however it makes sense, I'll pay you not to develop that in order to preserve the world. Now, do you think the world has the wherewithal to do that? Or do you think we're going to have people who are going to say, oh, no, man, that's one world government now. Don't tell them what to do in their backyard. I think a lot of the UN back and forth on climate change really comes down to this point. Do the rich countries owe something to poor countries? Uh Or do they need to subsidize the energy of these poorer countries so that we can stave off climate catastrophe Uh or keep things pristine, like you said, or pristine tax? I personally think yes, because it's in our shared interests. It's not like pollution affects just one place. It affects all of us. So Uh a coal plant in China could affect everyone in the Western seaboard because of pollution. So I think... that it's a collective problem that needs a collective solution. So whether it's making investments in nuclear power plants, so that means sharing civilian nuclear technology, not military, so that these countries are energy self-sufficient, they don't pollute, but they're also up to international standards. I personally think that's the solution. Let me push you a little bit on this and take this another step. Okay. What if there was a place 
And again, we'll use the South Pacific or Southeast Asia as a hypothetical, because it seems like those are the places that you hear about that they find a species of animals. So they're, at least for me, consumer, I'm thinking, oh, thank God there's something pristine. What if we have an island that has limited amount of human occupation? Mm -hmm. Do we pay that country money to get rid of the humans? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's an excellent point. I don't know. So you're saying some sort of archipelago or some sort of island that yeah, has say, a few people staying there and you say, hey, just stay so that the birds can repopulate it. Or Let's say like in Indonesia, or and, and it goes hand in hand with this climate change dilemma, because a lot of these, the, the sea levels are rising. Yeah. So either you're going to have to do... You're going to have to let these islands go anyway, Yeah, in yeah. some ways. We can't save them all. However, with that knowledge, we are going to lose something. I think you see that in the U.S. as well. There's an mm-hmm. acknowledgement that in some coastal parts of the country, you can't rebuild. Like, right. There's no way to... It, the sea is going to claim that piece of land eventually. It's right. just a matter of time, whether it's... Coastal Miami or Louisiana or even parts of the Jersey coast, for example. So the government has decided that instead of rebuilding, paying people to rebuild, you pay them on the condition that they move away from those neighborhoods. Or you update the floodplains so that insuring a house is just so expensive that people choose to. You incentivize them to make the right decision. If you were to take people off an island, let's say, and the idea is to... Keep it pristine for yeah. the future of the humanity, so to speak. You're, you're talking about, there are some island countries that are entire independent nation states. So like Tonga, for example. Right. If there's no longer, or Maldives in the Indian Ocean, if there's no longer a, a future for them, they're technically refugees, right? So if you're right. going to pay them, that's a big humanitarian effort. And I don't know if the world has shown a great capacity for these sort of complex humanitarian solutions. I think there is some sort of incentive there that will be necessary as we move along. But we're going to take another break. And when we come back, I want to bring it down to a local level, because I think there's something to be said about this whole idea of, I want to call it rewilding to some degree. So you're listening to Sandeep and Marty Talk about rewilding the world. Go to martinmccormack.com and sign up for our newsletter. You'll get the latest blog from Marty, information about upcoming podcasts, and what's happening in the gallery. That's martinmccormack.com. I'm a little 
are back. And all right, I want to take this down to the local level. Yes. We're in Chicago and everywhere you look, there's human beings. We have a coyote problem in Chicago. We do have parts of the city that basically um, don't have growth, have blight. We have parts of the city that could probably benefit from the idea of rewilding. Yes. Would it be in the interest of the United States to pay a locality like Chicago to say, let's just raid a neighborhood? Let's do a hypothetical. Yeah. And we're going to put it back into trees. We're going to put up a big fence. Yeah. And we're going to say... Nobody gets to go inside that thing for 500 years, or we're going to rewild it. It's going to be a park, yeah. but nobody gets to go inside it and make it pristine again. Do you think there's, do you think there's a feasibility to I think I like the idea of rewilding. Chicago may be a poor example because it's so close to fresh water. Just from a societal perspective, it's just good to maybe undo the blight and revitalize those parts. But I will say that when it comes to places like California, when you drive through the Pacific Coast, I think the highway number one, you see these houses that are built in places that look like they're a tinderbox. It's a fire zone. The grass is dry. Mm -hmm. The view is beautiful because they look onto the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, but no one should be living there. And then every season the fire starts and the firefighters have to come in and rescue you. I think if there's one place that deserves to be revived, it's the California coast. It's parts of maybe even Illinois that should be just grasslands because grasslands are carbon sinks too. So the point I'm making with it is, is that you don't have to have an island in the middle. Yeah, it can happen here. It could happen here. So yeah. the United States or a Western country could basically petition, let's turn South Dakota back into a big grassland, or let's turn part of Illinois. We are going to apply to whatever to get carbon sink offset. Yeah. But how do you make that viable? I don't think there's going to be a lot of tourists that are going to want to come and see the the grasslands. I would be the geek that would come to see the buffalo, and but maybe not. Not everything has to be a tourist spot. There are wetlands and marshes in Illinois that are being converted back to water sinks to capture all this water. I don't know. Does it have to be a tourist place? Can we acknowledge that part of the system just needs, in order for nature to work, it has to be kept a certain way? Like you need water sinks and carbon sinks. Should we depopulate, make pristine again, places where we say it's illegal to set foot? Yeah. As a as humanity. Yes, I think so. Yeah, I think I, so too. I think, yeah. I think we, for the sake of our future, we have to say, yeah. like a Chernobyl kind of experience without the, the radioactivity. Yeah, I think that's a very bold and creative solution. But if a country can pull it off as the U.S., so much land, so little density, it's so easy to just say, hey, let's not go there. Let's leave that for a 20 years and see what happens or reintroduce wolves and whatever to keep the natural ecological cycle going. Ah, Of course, I think so. I would support that. I would put my vote behind such an initiative. You would put your hard-earned tax dollars dollars toward the idea that maybe 
your son's uh, great-grandchild yeah. might be able to go back to visit as a tourist, perhaps, Yes, these rewilded areas. Yes, I would completely support yeah. something like this. Yeah. So how do we monetize this then, or do you? Or is this one of those things where you just have to say each country has to do it? Because there are certain countries in the world, like China, for example, that are not going to do it. They might do it just to show the world, oh, we can do it, but they probably won't do it. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so another thing with China is geographically, a lot of the population is centered along the coast. Right. And the sparsely populated places are like the Gobi Desert and all of that. So I'm sure they already have a bunch of places that aren't really... Where they could say... Where they could say, hey, we're just going to leave this. But it's not an ecologically very diverse country to begin with. But I, if China doesn't do it, if they're going to be the brat of the world again <laughs> and say, no, we don't, you don't tell us what to do. Here's yeah. a final question. Yeah. What if you have an indigenous population or you have people that say, yeah, we're going to volunteer to go indigenous? Do you throw the human quotient into this vast South Dakota-sized area and you say, okay, yeah, you can go back since... There were people there. You have to be nomadic. You have to do this. We're not going to yeah. see you later. Or is that just turning it into a Disney theme park? Does it make sense to remove the humans totally? It depends. And Sorry, that's not a conclusive statement. But it depends. I was reading somewhere that Native American tribes knew how to manage forests and forest fires. And they right. had control fires. And they've been doing it for centuries. So if you're a Native American tribe who's lived there and knows the land and can manage as a steward of the land, then, yeah, by all means, you have you should have the authority to go back and manage the land. But, would you, but if you're going to put a strip mine there or say oh, this is going to be the new Disney, Epcot, whatever. It's very difficult to put the genie back in the bottle. You can't go to some tribe and say, hey, guys, it's the 21st century. You guys can have at it with this, but you got to go back to living in teepees. That's excessive. Surely they can have a few cars and a few pickup trucks and some well, solar panels. It's kind of like living on Mars is what I'm proposing. Yeah. The but idea. they've been doing it for centuries. Like the, the tribes that have lived there, not in teepees, but they have local knowledge. What we want to do is you're, you're not going to have any more contact with the civilized world. No, I think that's excessive. That would be impossible. That would be impossible. So really, probably the best argument would be to remove the humans totally, because at some point, even if you do put in an indigenous tribe to monitor, there's always going to be that one crazy person that's going to say, now I'm chief and uh, I've been talking. Yeah, yeah. Let's drill for oil or something. Let's drill for oil. Drill, baby, drill. That kind of thing. I don't know. I think like there isn't the law that defines national parks have something to say about this? Like, didn't Biden uh, take away oil drilling rights in Alaska to keep it pristine? Think about it this way. Wasn't it Teddy Roosevelt that started the national parks? Right. That wasn't a concept. Well, it was before him, but he... Pushed it. Someone, the first guy that looked at this place and said, we need to keep this place off limits to human development. That was a very creative idea for a country that's built on expanding the frontier. So that was a creative idea. So maybe you're onto something. To wrap this up, I'm thinking that what we need to do is rewild. Okay. Remove the humans. Yeah. 
And if at all possible, since part of the maintenance, as you pointed out, some of the predation Mm -hmm. was from the top chain, you'd almost have to get volunteers to go Aboriginal on you. I'll bet you if you put an ad out there for an Aboriginal lifestyle, there are a bunch of hipsters right now who will sign up, who will jump on the opportunity of maybe homesteading an Aboriginal lifestyle in the middle of nowhere. Maybe we pushed it a little too far, but I do think that there is a drastic need right now for us to take a step back from some parts of the world, as you accurately pointed out with California, and I've seen the same in Colorado, where there are homes that should not be there. Just because we can get there, like Antarctica, I feel we shouldn't be there. Let's leave it at that. I think we're on to something. Let us know what you think. We're now well over 2,000 downloads on our podcast, and we want to thank you for listening. I'm Marty McCormack. And I'm Sandeep Gopal. And this is Strung Out. Thank you for listening. For more information about this show or a transcript, visit martinmccormack.com. While there, sign up for our newsletter. See you next time on Strung Out. It's all so wrong, it's pain we feel, makes no sense at all. A swan song wasn't part of the deal, was no good call. Giving out joys, giving